Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number 31 of season six. We are, in fact, come to the end of our episodes tonight. Tonight we are talking about episode 13, the culminating episode of season six. It is time to head to Mandos and uh, finish our season arc and uh, uh, finally figure out what escape from bondage means. So here we are in... Episode 13. After tonight, there'll be two more episodes. We're going to talk about art and we're going to talk about music. But tonight we finish the narrative. Very exciting. Um, glad to have Nick and Marie with me again. Welcome, guys. And uh, Nick, you wrote this uh, the script for this one, right? About that. <laughs> I would say that there's been more collaboration on this script than anyone previous, which makes sense this is it right like this is this is the center of the center and more people were going to have more thoughts and feelings about what this should be and look like Mm -hmm. than just about anything else that we're going to have yeah yeah it's funny Um, it's it's kind of felt like all season long right it's been like and but this episode, like this, is the big episode. And every and like almost every single week, it's like no, no, wait, this is the big episode. But this is this is the one, right? We've come this now is, to this is the one, and especially one. since like there's some which were like more exciting. I mean, everyone was looking forward to the song battle mm. with Sauron and Finrod. Everyone's looking forward to you know who on kicking Sauron's butt. Everybody looking forward, you know, to like the cutting the Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. All you know, but. But come on, like this is not only the culmination, it's also the hardest part. Like this is a really, really difficult episode. I just want to acknowledge that. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm Super sure you easy. thought it was a piece of cake, Nick. Oh, but I will just say that I mean it's I I I think especially as a culminating episode, right? Like let's mm. um it's the is there am I right in thinking that there was less action in this season finale than in any other season finale we've ever had yes that is correct i mean usually um, there's a ba- there's a there's a you know we were doing the dagger Aglareb last kind. season you know yes. like, yeah. which right like and that's kind of my forte right right, right. right. yeah is, season is one stuff like that war to begin all wars season war, two you know, yeah. darkening of valinor yeah season three the sun rises Sunrise, but there was, there, yeah, we got my there was a, yeah. there was a yeah, standoff there was before that, but yeah. there wasn't a battle, there wasn't a battle. Mm. But so, even things but, like Fingolfin arriving and beating on the yeah. gates of Angband. yeah, there was a beating on the gate thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, then season four, Glorong appears and Gladriel gets married, and then season five, obviously, we had Fingolfin versus Morgoth. Yeah, a come on, that's um, a bit of a fight, yeah, and. It's um, in in addition to all of that. In addition to all of that, it's I cannot cannot stress enough how much Marie personally did here because it got to a point where I was running out of time and I'm just speed writing through the thing. I'm like I I, I don't even have time to deal with the format. I'll deal with that later. I'm right. just gonna get the words out and then i'll go back and fix the format and then i noticed i was about halfway through and i see marie just like fixing the format following behind, behind you just like it was so much work there was something what this like 500 some odd edits on this script right 
and the vast vast majority of them are just marie <laughs> indenting things to where they're supposed to be many many manual indents. which yes yes well because i've always manually i've always manually formatted my scripts because i don't like the way that the plugins do it i, I right. hate it um right. and it's not to me it doesn't feel like it's that much faster anyway because i still have to tell it what everything is right um and so but but marie you you single-handedly rescued my sunday and i cannot <laughs> cannot thank you enough it is awesome it's it's always well you're welcome i mean you you're usually in the role of an editor but this time you were the role of the writer so <clears throat> you got to enjoy some editing <laughs> yeah it's okay <laughs> awesome so we're gonna we're going to talk our way through the action-packed episode 13 here this evening. Uh, first, a uh, quick update. So many moots coming up. It is awesome. Um, so we have uh, Myth Moot, of course, is the big thing, which will be happening next week. A week from this very evening, we will be in Leesburg, Virginia, um, beginning... Myth Moot 10, Homeward Bound. Still time to join us, especially if you want to join us remotely. I believe technically you can still join us in person if you would like to, though we're beginning to reach the point where last minute plans are a bit of a much, bit much to ask. However, uh, you can always join us remotely. And remember that if you sign up for remote attendance at any one of our moots, you get access to the full archived recordings of the whole thing, which for Myth Moot is especially useful because there are like three different tracks going on all the time. And uh, um, to, I mean, even if you're are present you can't you know you can only you can't even hear half the stuff so but you get access to recordings of everything um uh which has taken since we started doing that it's taken so much stress out of myth mood i used to be paralyzed every time it's like there are three different panels to go to and like i know people in every single panel and i want to go and i you know i but i have to be in a room or other um there were even once or twice when I just like I couldn't go to any of them. I'm like I can't choose. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. There's it's anyway, but it's awesome. It's so nice now to be able to know that uh, we'll get access to the recordings. Um, our fall slate of regional moots um, has uh, uh, has filled right up here. We've got five fall moots planned this year. Um, Several of which, two of which are brand new and one of which is coming around for only the second time. Um, we begin and end with a brand new moot, Cascade Moot in Portland, Oregon on September 23rd. Um, and then we end in Bayou Moot down in New Orleans uh, on December 2nd. So both of those, we've never been there before. Um, in the middle, we've got Middle Moot on October 14th, which is our our longest running moot in the middle of that we have the uh the uh the wily veteran there in the middle and then the next week new england moot up here in Derry, new hampshire <laughs> i love them the new england moot design the new england moot folks are really leaning into the fact that they're like closer to halloween this year so they're like it's like the spooky moot this year uh new england moot is and then Mountain Moot back out in Denver, Colorado again for the second year. So uh, uh, glad to head out to to, Mount, to Denver again for Mountain Moot. So, um, and then of course we're already looking at uh, moots for the spring as well. We're, we've got well for the new year in any case. Um, Oz Moot definitely happening in Australia again down in Sydney the end of uh, January, and uh, Sunshine Moot going to be happening in February I believe this year back in Orlando Florida in the Orlando Florida area. So, um, anyway, so yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a busy moot year, and we are still talking about another 
big new moot on a new continent that we have never been to before. And that is Brazil, South America, going down to Sao Paulo, Brazil. For a, we're, we're working on that. It's, it's in the works. Not uh, ready to announce dates or anything yet, but I think it's going to happen. And I'm pretty excited about it. So time to brush up on my Portuguese. So I say brush up as if I have any Portuguese. I don't, but it'll be fun to learn. Um, all right. So many things uh, happening, uh, coming up soon. Looking forward to this. Now, I hope we get all of Beleriand again. You know, we're panning back because we don't actually care about any of it in this episode. So we're kind of looking at it from a distance. Um, <laughs> here, this is the one where we leave where we leave Beleriand behind. Um, first moot, moot, first uh, episode to take place mostly in Valinor since season two, right? And, you know, so this is, uh, well, season three. We got the very, very beginning of season three. We were still in, we're still in Valinor. Um, yeah, the creation of the sun and the moon would have been the last time we spent a significant chunk of time in Valinor. Right. So that's season three. Right. And even that wasn't like a whole episode. It was just like a, we just like stopped right. in. We, we, right. we were mm. cutting between that and Beleriand yeah. for yeah. that episode. Yeah. 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 So, um, and of course, visiting a, par- a place in, um, uh, Valinor, we've never been before, um, right? We haven't, we haven't been inside Mandos, have we? Only glimpses. Okay, yeah. Very the closest glimpses. The closest we've been to inside Mandos up to this point has been the imprisonment of Morgoth, right? Um, Melkor at the time, um, you know, doing push-ups in his in his cell and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and I believe we got a glimpse of Muriel, mm-hmm. but that's basically it. Okay. So, yeah. um, yeah. All right. Well, I won't say, I'll wait till we get there. It won't segue to the, but that leads me to like one of the things, one of the little requests I would have on revision uh, of this episode. I see. I love the cameos, like more cameos. I want more cameos. <laughs> that was um, yeah, um, Angrod was so much fun. I was like, oh man, oh yeah, oh this is anyway. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, all right. So our a plot crushed by grief after Baron's death, Luthien lays down her life and seeks out his spirit in the halls of Mandos. That's our a plot, of course. Um, the b plot is this, this the ripple effect on the rest of Doriath, in particular the you know the 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 winter of Thingol, um, and then of course setting up setting things in motion for future seasons, right? As we have Emildir leading the house of Beor up to Dor Loman so that Morwen and Rian can find husbands, um, Sauron going to the east so he can find something to do, and uh, Glaurung begetting children so that we can one day have fights in the sky with Silmarils. So um, uh, lots to... And then, of course... We need to stop by Himring uh, to um, uh, check in on our fun Fanorian friends and uh, uh, and incipient plans uh, for next season. So, yes, all the sons of Fanor in this episode. It's, it's, every, it's the first episode with all seven sons of Fanor in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> since season three. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's been that's been good. Um, yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I was just imagining what the Fanor cameo would look like. You know, him in his little solitary confinement cell, you know, kind of standing stubbornly on the corner. Um, but anyway, okay, all right, all right. Ooh. On fire. On fire, yeah, exactly. Still on fire. Okay, so... Um, lots of mourning in Doriath. So, I really liked the juxtaposition of past and present. I thought that that worked really... I thought that that was really interesting. I, I thought that was a really interesting way of... Um, a really interesting way of capturing... Not just, like, her... Okay. I've been looking forward to thinking through this a little bit more. Because it was it was one of those things I was as I was reading it, I was like, okay, that's really interesting, but I need to process this more. So, help me process this more. So... On the one hand, visually, there is a, a, a persistent juxtaposition between day and night, between morning and and evening, between sun and moon. That kept happening. That juxt- that kind of juxtaposition kept happening. So on the one hand, it's um, you know clearly suggestive of her own you know her own grief, her own shadow, her own sort of nightfall, and the and the you know the the the, the memory of the earlier. Um, Things. Though it's it's interesting because of course, like the dancing in the moonlight, the, the moon and the moonlight is emphasized in the text about the earlier stuff, right? That's hardly a, a sunshine only affair, right? But obviously, I, again, it, it works well as a sort of even sort of quasi symbolic juxtaposition between you know the now and the earlier there. Tell me some more some of the the ideas that you guys had as to what you were wanting to invoke through the the juxtapositions of her current state of grief and her earlier memories. One of the things that came out of the discussion was kind of the 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 realization that because the the way that elvish memory works is so different than mm-hmm. ours mm-hmm. when when Luthien looks at a place that has strong emotional connections yes. to her, she's not just like, oh yeah, like, like it's yeah. not it's not nostalgia or yeah. something like that. It's she relives it right literally. Right. Right. Yeah, that 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 sense of that sense of not just like having that emotion prompt you to turn inward and picture it in your own head, but almost that sense of her projecting it outward. Right. Yeah. Um, in a quasi fairy and drama kind of way. There was a moment actually in which I wasn't sure whether Beleg or Mablung might not be able to see it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think she and, would have had to be singing in order to make that happen. Presumably. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did kind of intentionally want that, question to be on the table mm-hmm. um because there are places where someone's internal monologue definitely like gets out like escapes right, <laughs> right? it happens with thingle later on and we can talk about that when we get there um so the idea that that for the elves that line between imagination and memory and reality is not as clearly demarcated as it is for us. Right. Right. Yes. Um, One of the things 
I'm, um, you know, as I say, there's still a bunch of stuff that I'm processing there. When, when it became clear that Mablung and Beleg couldn't, in fact, see the visions that she was seeing, the memory visions that she was seeing, um, I, oh, and by the way, I love how that kind of got picked up later on when Thingol is having auditory memories and Melian can hear them. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, and Melian, like, responds to what? It took me... I, don't, I, I, I actually did a double take and, like, scrolled back up to read that yeah. again. I'm like, wait a second, yeah. Yeah, because, like, and even in... Even in... Uh, to a viewer, so, like, in, in the text, it's only, like, the only difference is it's going from from voiceover to off-screen. Right, right. right. Yeah, and I, I missed that. I missed that. Right. Yeah. And in practice, all it would be is like a subtle change in the in the audio quality. Right. Right. To to denote that she is in fact in the room now. Right. Right. I mean, um, I would think we would have to accompany that with Thingol like turning his head or something in order to give some kind of oh yeah signal of that like that had happened or you know that it was different. Yeah. And then she walks on. Right. So I mean, it's it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, she. We see her yeah. an instant later. Yeah, um, to indicate that she uh, that she is in fact there. Yeah, th- I thought that was really. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so yeah, no, that was that was that was cool, and again made me. But so here's the the reactions of Beleg and Mablung. What is your understanding of what the, like when they're while Luthien is having her moments, right? Mm-hmm. Which, speaking from a human standpoint, we might call like hallucinatory moments, right? When she's having mm. these sort of um, visionary. But again, as you say, elf memory works differently, right? So one of the things that I was thinking, I was like, okay, so would they, even if they can't see it, even if she's not actually visually projecting these images in a way that they can see, which again, elves apparently can do, but um, uh, but not not in this case necessarily, as it's a an internal, uh, you know, private thing. Um, but they would have some, like, how they're processing what's happening with her, right? Um, there were moments when they kept coming to her and being like, are you okay? You know, like, you know, are you with me here? And she wasn't with them, right? Her, she's walking somewhere else. But I was thinking, like, wouldn't they have some clue what was going on here? Like, surely this has to be some kind of, like, known elvish phenomenon that they could parse from the outside, if you see what I mean. Well, it's a question of how often does this actually happen? Sure. Especially for the elves of Doria, it's mm-hmm. not unlikely that no one has died. It is not unreasonable to think that nobody well, that's not entirely true. They've had people die in 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 fights and whatnot. Um, it, it, but in the, sure, we just talked Karkaroff, you know, house some folks in the last episode. But but yeah, no, you're right. It's not. This is certainly. But not between a, the girdle going yeah. up and that incident with Karkaroff, hundreds of years have passed. Yeah, and maybe a half dozen people since have died the, since the battle with the Green Elves, or, yeah. not against the Green Elves, but like yeah, the battle in which the Green Elves died. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, right and that was that was followed by the girdle going up and fighting the spiders like there were deaths yeah hunting incidents though like mm -hmm. things there have been elves on the march warden side who went and fought to Vilda's cats and didn't make it right like there's been 
deaths. Handful of incidents, yeah. But yeah, this isn't a normal thing. The the issue is the distinction between Luthien experiencing the grief firsthand and Beleg and Mablung and the other elves trying to deal with her grief on a secondhand level because right. Right. really <clears throat> nobody else in Doriath cares that Baron has died. Right. They just met the guy. They they're getting to know him. They're sad he's gone. But the only person who's really truly grieving Baron is yes. Luthien. Yeah. So yeah. we're we're seeing them respond to her grief mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to help her and not necessarily knowing how serious it is. Right. Yeah. They, they can guess, but that's part of the let's just try and pull her out of it. Let's try and give her a task to do. Um and and also like the the Silmarillion specifically calls out that that um and this happens in the scene with Mandos much later that their sorrows were not her sorrows mm-hmm. like other people have been through this short but it has it the text is very clear it has never been like this I mean, these two different. people have literally gone to hell together and come back yeah um, and are facing a kind of separation that literally no husband and wife in the history of middle earth has ever faced right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um yeah so one advantage of bringing up the elven memory idea is mm-hmm. that at the end, Luthien's going to pre- be presented with two choices, one of which she's going to ignore, and the second of which she's obviously going to take, like obviously to the audience and anyone who has watched her through this episode. Right, right. But the first one is you'll still have the memories. So we kind of had to show Yay. what those memories were. Thanks. To, right. to show why that's maybe not what she wants her eternity to look like. <laughs> right. Right. Just to kind of show, not tell the audience right. what that choice right. means. Okay. Yeah. So we're showing Luthien get the, like, um, uh, you know, the free 10 day trial period on the infinite yeah. memories before she commits to buying. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Okay. And, and to show the viewer Luthien's grief from her perspective, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we could have just shown Luthien walking around really sad. Yeah. For this into- entire first act. Right. But no one would actually feel sad seeing her do that. Right. <laughs> Unless they knew why she was sad. So. Part of that is to to tr- try to draw the viewer into her experience of happy memories switched with he's gone. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, okay. There was one element that I was missing, but it's possible that I was just... Like it might be my fault that I was missing. just missed it. <laughs> it might might have just missed it. Um, so it seems to me there are three elements in Luthien's what point of view, attitude, mental mm-hmm. state at the beginning of you know in Act One, which I think need to be brought in and kind of balanced one is okay so one is like 
my husband died and I am sad. Like that's, mm. you know, like the grief. Everyone of gets that. Yeah. yeah. Everyone gets that. That's that one is that one is straightforward. The second is the one that we were just mentioning, like bringing home. She's sad, but she is sad in a way which is different. There's there's something else at stake for her here than in any other. I mean, there there have been a number of widows so far, you know, in already uh, in uh, film film. And why is she different? Like what makes her widowhood different? Um, and partly this was set up in the previous episode, right? With the discussions about mortality and the, um, but there the emphasis was on like from Galadriel, you know, it, it's going to be hard for you to live the next hundred thousand years after Baron's gone. I, I realize. Um, so like, but you know, Enjoy your 15 minutes and then come hang out with me and we can talk about the next, you know, 100,000 years. Um, uh, but I guess the, the, the focus in, that, in the last episode was all on Luthien, the rest of Luthien's life. It was less on the ultimate parting. Right. The ultimate it, it was like, which is like, and, and I'm, I'm not that I don't say that as a criticism of the last episode. I'm saying that that seems to me to be like the imperative thing here. She knew she knew he was mortal. She knew he was going to die. Right. Um, sooner or later. But this was way, way sooner. <laughs> needless to yeah. say, even than anyone, expe- you know, a- anticipated. Um uh, they knew it wasn't going to be around for long, but not literally days, right? Um, and then, but then once he dies, like now she is processing this time. The reality. Yeah, the reality of like, it's not just, oh man, he's gone. To some extent, she's prepared for that. Like, she's mm. not she's not dumb, right? I mean, she knows what Goadriel's, she's picking up what Goadriel's putting down, right? And, you know, everyone else, she, she, she wasn't choosing to focus on it on her wedding day, you know? Um, so she was a little less keenly aware of the, you know, the difference in their life expectancies than many of the others around her. But still, that was known. The thing that she, I think, again, is sort of processing, if not for the first time, then certainly tasting the reality of is and I am separated from him the way that no you know widowed person has ever been separated from or Mm. ever will be so far as I know separated you know that even coming back to some of the language um what 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 would be really fun if it could happen is like a a mirroring of that Andreth language instead of like two hands reaching across the abyss, like, and now abyss, an, an abyss is opening up, you know, between our, between our hands, you know, that, which had clasped, you know, our, our hands had been joined and now an abyss has opened up between them. I don't know that you need to actually use the words, but you know, that, that, that kind of thing, right. You know, this even, um, think even of the way in which, um, though in hideous mockery, the idea of reunion and death is still even flung at Gorlim, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that he is granted by, you know, in the text by Sauron in, in some film by Thorin Guethel uh, to be reunited uh, with Iwanel, right, uh, in death mm. um, or through death. Um, and again, like that's no kindness is meant there. But still, like the idea of, you know, that widowhood has an ending, you know, the, the widower state 
still like the time will come when now the humans don't know. And I know this comes up, of course, right. With Baron, yeah. you know, in Mandos, like, uh, so are the humans. And, you know, I, I love Baron's little moment of like, well, we must remain technically agnostic as we really don't know. Like, you know, yeah. we don't believe we're going to go, we're going off into eternal separation, but like, you know, we have to admit we have no firm data on this that, point. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't mean that we should like go around and kill each other on purpose to <laughs> exactly. get us there. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 Um, um so for this this realization that there's a chasm between them, does she need to express this while she's alive, or is it okay to have that be a focus in Mandos? So I, I can tell you it's it's tough because the she first starts getting real lines like with in Hirolarn. the scene where she dies mm-hmm. but it's, right? it's with hero it's with so, and she does say so the the reference to this that does exist is when she's um after she talks about how she has attempted to bind baron even temporarily to uh to Aya when she says but i must see him again i must even if only for a little while even if i should lose him for a second time to eternity beyond the veils of the world right so she does reference that but if we want something more than that um we could even enter it visually in one of the scenes um where like it, like maybe in the scene where she's remembering they're dancing them dancing together mm-hmm. and to actually have their hands be pulled apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I So could at least visually start to put that, that idea in. Yeah. I, um, yes. Um, uh, icon is suggesting it could be within the song you so kindly shoved on the music department. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, but I would think that um, I would think that that would be the culmination, not the introduction of the idea. Mm, you know, okay. um, and this is why I think. So, I would kind of—I don't know how. But I would kind of want to introduce it in Act 1 somehow. I would want to plant it in Act 1. And there are right. two reasons I would want to plant it in Act 1. One is because it seems a, a sort of a three-stage dealing with this issue seems good. Like, first, just the the sheer blank emotional reality of the fact, right? The The grief deeper than any grief has ever been at the beginning, right? Then stage two, walking and talking with the shade of Baron and and thinking it through and working it out and then putting it into song and, and seeing, and because the way that what she does in her song, right. She captures the, like the grief of Artemard. Like she, she, she like distills and crystallizes the grief of Artemard. And that seems this, this, this whole concept, right. This whole of like the, 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 you know, the, the separation by death of elves and men is like itself a kind of, um, you know, cornerstone of that entire, like almost not quite image for, not quite symbol of, not quite example of, but kind of all of those things, right. Um, of the whole, like it is in a nutshell, what is wrong with Artemard, right. It it is a, a, a deep, deep glimpse into that. And she, she puts that through, right. Um, 
There you go, Icon. How hard is that? Seriously, come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. So if you want the first step, what we currently have is an idea that eventually Baron Spirit's going to pass beyond the veils of the world and be separated. Right. Um, right. We could visually add the dancing being interrupted by being torn apart. Right. And if you want more vocabulary, like what you're suggesting, something along the idea of Baron's song of that Luthien for a time shall be, mm-hmm. right? That the world is good because Luthien's in it. Yep. We can turn that whole thing around is that the world is terrible because Baron's not in it. Right. right. <laughs> and that they're forever separated by this. And yes, and that the the loss that she's experiencing, um, that she's able to sing the song that she is, because the loss that she experiences, which is unique among the losses ever suffered by anybody, right? Because theirs is the first union of the two kindred, and that therefore leads to this unique never-before-experienced loss, but that that loss is what enables her to see in a way that none of the Eldar have ever before seen what the, like, real grief of Artemard is, in a sense. You see what I mean? Like, this is this is how she... This is what enables her to sing that song. This is what enables her to kind of process that in that way. Um, we can definitely find find places to 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 punch that yeah. and make that more. The, the, I, I said there were two reasons. The other reason is simply that there's a risk, especially in the context of film. I mean, there have been so many widows. There's been so many tragedies. We've had a we've killed a whole lot of characters already in this show, right? And there is a sense in which, and I'm not saying that this is the, you know, like the obvious sort of reaction. That the, I mean, I'm not saying I would expect everybody to have this reaction, but I could imagine somebody saying, "Oh, boohoo, boohoo!" Like, yeah, exactly. Come yeah. on, like, you know, go back to um. You know, uh, uh, oh, what's her name? The uh, the 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 wife of uh, of of Angrod. Edelweth. Oh, Edelweth. Yeah. Oh, Edelweth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Edelweth. Yeah. Edelweth. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, come on. Like, you think you had it bad, Edelweth or Dirio, Right. I mean, like, come on. There's like so many people who suffered so much more and so much Gorlin longer. and Ilanel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, come on. You know. So, like, uh, it's it's. Uh, Anyway, I could imagine I, I just think it's important to make sure that we are conveying like she's not just a drama queen. She's not just a drama queen. Right? It's yeah. not and, just that like she is a widow as many, many have been before her, but for some reason Luthien can't handle it. You know what I mean? Like that's Yeah. And, and I'm not saying as I say, I'm not saying that it has that effect. I would just want to make sure we de- protect against that effect, is all yeah. I'm saying. For the specific reason that she's about to die of grief. Right. Right. And that's already not quite how humans work. Mm-hmm. So, unless they're the, Rian. Hmm? unless they're Rian. right? And although uh, in reality, she probably dies of starvation. Yeah, I was going to say her, her. You know, the coroner would probably not put grief on the death certificate there. Right. No. So but, that's what I meant by that's yeah, not yeah. quite how humans yeah. work. Yeah. You can die while you're grieving, but it's not a cause usually right or not the only cause the so that's already an outside human experience thing that luthien's going through and 
she lays down and dies. Mm-hmm. Was that a suicide? No, but but was it not a suicide? Like it, it's gonna feel weird, yeah, to the audience a little bit. Anyway, it's a strange death. So more context before she dies would help, yeah, put the death in that context as well. Yeah, I was even wondering. I'm not saying that this like should happen or needs to happen. Um, but when, with, uh, Beleg and Mablung's conversations, I was wondering if like the prospect of her dying of grief would be like verbally raised, explicit, explicitly raised because I mean, I was ready for it, of course, but it's not only just because I know the story, but people who, I mean, we've never shown an elf dying of grief before, have we? I mean, is that has Muriel. That been a thing? Muriel. Muriel. Oh well, but Muriel. Look, Muriel is the original bad data point. Okay, yes. like, there's, yes. there's there's nothing about Muriel that's applicable to anyone else in the history of Menor. I mean, Luthien is is a similarly bad data. She point is. She is right, but um, like in this moment, you know, it's yeah, yeah. But um, I I did consider that um, one of the things I thought was that the idea of her dying of grief is for them an unfathomable would be an unfathomable loss. They yeah. can't even comprehend they can't, yeah. the possibility. No, I, and that's when I was thinking that, that was my immediate second thought that like, you know, Belling and Mablung aren't going to be like, well, hope she doesn't die of grief. Me too. Your move. Right. Like that's yeah, not like, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. I was already getting a little flack for how callous it was it appeared that they were playing a, had the audacity to play a game while right. all this sadness was happening. Right, right. Yeah, um, I agree with uh, with David Michael. I thought that her death in the arms of Hero Lauren was awesome. I loved the death scene. That was really, really good. The duet that she's singing with Hero Lauren there at the end is so cool. So cool. Um, tell me more. Actually, tell me more about that. So she's... Um, because this was this was this was a really fun moment, but I was I was like I didn't have to, I wanted to like stop and ponder this, but I didn't have time. So she sings the release from Bondage song that she sang. Hero Lauren, right? Hero Lauren sings the yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so she sings back to Luthien the song that Luthien sang when she convinced by which she convinced Hero Lauren, and that mm-hmm. was about letting go. Right. Like letting go, like releasing, yes. you know, like your seeds and nuts and, and mm-hmm. letting, you know, the, the new seeds go and plant and become new trees. And um, and Luthien takes the exact wrong lesson away from that. <laughs> right. Because that is very clearly not the message that, like Hirolyn was not saying let go of life. Right. It, right. Right. But. Right. Exactly. But it is. It meant that what we got at the moment of her death at the end of Act One, and this is what I loved so much about it, was that we got a direct juxtaposition between her expression of grief and the escape from bondage concept. Like that yeah. song, To Hear Lorne, in, what was it, Episode 5, was the... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was like the escape from bondage the song. song. Yeah, it was the song of hope and escape, you know, the the, the, the escape song. Um, so here Lorna is singing the escape song. She's singing the grief song and the two of them are harmonizing, right? And that's so cool. That's, re- I love that. Um, but this brings back, this brings me then to my big question about the grief of Luthien. 
Um, I don't even know how to like shape this. There's a bunch in this, a bunch of things in this episode that are really. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big mm-hmm. deal. What one of the things that like because I I knew that people were gonna feel really strongly about this episode. Yeah, yeah. And so I I knew going in that like there was almost no way that anybody was not going to have any notes for me whatsoever. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah. It's well, only the biggest deal ever. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So icon is pointing out and I totally agree that Luthien um, does the exact same thing in response to the escape from bondage song in both contexts, right? She escapes and follows Baron. Like she leaves mm. the tree and follows Baron. Right. Mm. That's great. Again, love it. Loved that juxtaposition. I thought that was fantastic. Okay, here was the biggest question I was left with. And again, I, 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 I'm still processing, but my biggest question was, what about their doom? And specifically, what about, does she have any perception of their doom? So I was operating under the belief that now that the Noldor have come back from Valinor, the um the sindar have an understanding of what happens to them when they die mm-hmm. uh, before before the return of the north they had no idea like yeah. as far as they knew they died and they were dead yeah um that's it's it like like it, it it's not obvious when you're reading the Cimmerillion, but until they get to valinor none of them know right that, right that they live on even after being slain. Uh, None of them know that. It's true because even if Thingol had been given an extremely thorough tour when he went over there, there weren't any dead elves there <laughs> yet that we right. know of anyway. Exactly. I mean, again, somebody might have died elsewhere, you know, conceivably, but yeah. Like Muriel wasn't there yet, right? There was, there yeah. was, yeah. There were some elves who had been killed by the hunter, including um, Kin of Thingol mm-hmm. right. in the beginning of season That's two. That's true. That's true. So there were elves in Mandos, but Thingol was not invited to take a tour of Mandos while he yes. was visiting Valador. Yes. That was very clearly off limits. Yeah. I believe yes. someone was like, what's over there? And it came up. That's where the dead elves were. And Ingwe was really curious about that, seeing as how his wife was dead. Yes. Right. But other than that, they didn't get to like go visit. Look at us right. thinking to go into this way back at the beginning of season two. I'd forgotten yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So that was one thing that was really nice about this episode is that Nick did find a lot of ways to reference earlier parts of film film. Yes. So I'm going through like, yep, check, yep, check, yep, check. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and as far as the fate of men, they know about as much as anybody else does right they don't they don't know that the that men are going to like they don't know about the door they don't know that humans go to mandos for any length of time whatsoever i uh, my my sense going into this was that it was it, it was foresight on luthien's part 
that she just intuited that there was some way that yeah. she could hold Baron. Yes. And I don't think she like thought it through. I like I it, in no way did I ever want to give the impression that she had actually thought that through. Right. When he was dying, that right. she was panicked. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um and that's let me emphasize that what I'm talking about through this entire section, I want it understood that I am not in any way actually suggesting that we do anything to undermine the emotional power of, of Act One, right? Mm-hmm. And and the con- conveying her grief, that's it's super important. If we don't get that, yeah. then we're not. But, but okay. But now here here comes the but. But having done that, I want to make sure to establish that, and we'll keep coming back to it. However, there's the, there is the other side of it, right? Because um, there is a way. Um, there would be a path to telling this episode, to telling this story, in which Luthien is not crippled by gr- grief at all, mm-hmm. right? In which she says, "Okay, this is we knew." a doom was laying, was laid upon us, right? Mm-hmm. We knew there was something we were supposed to do. Ah, I thought yes. it was the recovery of the Silmarils, but there, so this is why she goes to Baron and she's like, wait for me. And she's like, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta, like Baron's waiting. Right. The, the, the thing, I, now I see the thing is yet to be done. The thing that we were to do, the doom that was laid upon us, what we're mm-hmm. going to accomplish. Now, now I see it's over there, right? So I got to yeah. I, I, I head to Mandos, got to do my doom thing. Peace out. Um, I'm going. And in which, you know, she's not, where it's not motivated by grief. Now, again, again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we don't want to mm-hmm. remove the grief, but that element of it, I, I, I mean, I was, that was, that, that's kind of the core of my question there. Okay, so just grief. Yeah, I could see how that would feel like I'm missing something here. Right. Simply a calculated move to go join up with Baron and accomplish the goal is also to be avoided. Totally, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Part of what we were having the issue on is if you introduce Luthien's got a plan, right? Then it it feels very calculated on her part, which doesn't right. seem to fit her character. Doesn't seem to fit what's happening. Yeah. So it's difficult to tell the story as Luthien has a plan, and she just needs to go meet up with Baron in the halls of Mandos, and then it'll all work out. Because one, you couldn't tell the audience what the plan is. Nope. And as you just explained, Luthien doesn't even know what the plan doesn't is. Even know what the plan is? Yeah. And the only tension in this episode is what's going to happen to these people. Are right. they going to get to be together? And if Luthien is from the very beginning of the episode, I have a plan. Like sublimely confident, yes. <laughs> then, we, yeah. then we, the audience, are going to be like, okay, I have no idea what's going on, but presumably Luthien's going to get him out of death here as, somehow. As always. Right. right. Luthien comes she's in ex- and rescue. She has succeeded at everything she's tried. Right. So at this point, to be like, Luthien's got a plan. It's like. No, agreed. I t- no, it shouldn't. It's not Luthien has a plan. I mm-hmm. I did bring so I did want to do what you're what you're mm-hmm. referencing and I really struggled to find a way to do it. And we were trying to there was a lot of push and pull on the drama of the final scene and we're gonna we're gonna get to all that. And making sure that that scene played out in a way which maintained the dramatic tension without yep. Yep. um because it it is very easy to feel like, well, of course, this is what happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
so in in order to and then i found a way to have luthien be led into the song by kind of a reminder of of the the portentousness 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 yes yes of their meeting yes um which is then referenced in the song itself based on what I, I think the current interpretation of what the song is going to be is because right. that I am not writing. Okay. Um, okay. Yes, we do have a, a sort of, um, well, not a hole so much as a, like a socket in the middle of this yes. episode <laughs> where the, yes. where the song is going to be set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I assume we're going to do that during the music episode. Is that the plan? We shall see. Um, that will be perhaps I shall you. perhaps I should say hope rather than plan. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah so makes sense. People are working on it. I I do not know the current status. Okay. People, but people are working us. on it. So here's my suggestion, Nick, for how it could be done. Mm-hmm. What if it is? What if it is a realization that she has? While Hirolorn is singing, what if the juxtaposition of her own grief and Hirolorn's song of escape from bondage and that releasing a new life theme from before? The other connection that I'm thinking of is the one that you already made, the if Luthien for a time should be moment with Baron, right? Um and remember that whole episode, the focal point of, and it's that episode I was thinking about. Like it's, um, that episode, the, well, for me anyway, the take home, uh, uh, message of that episode, which was nine, I think, right. Pretty sure. Right before 10, which was Angband. Um, the episode nine, uh, message was, We are we we will be together. No matter what we do, we will be together. Um, because it is our doom. Like we have a doom. We have a doom to pursue. You remember that was one of the major issues, right? They're like, I want to keep you safe, but like we have to like we can fo- we, we we can but follow our destiny and all that kind of thing, right? Um, so the that awareness of the doom that lay upon them. And then they, they end episode nine with like, okay, let us a stay together and B go to Angband, right? Let's go get the Silmaril. And in doing so, that was very much a, um, we're doing this not because it's a prerequisite to being together. Cause here we are. Right. But because it is what, must happen like this is the this is the path that we have been set on this is the doom that lies upon us so again in that same light so so from episode nine forward it seems to me that those two things the on the one hand like we are meant to be together as a couple thing and the there is a great doom that lies upon us thing are joined Mm -hmm. that's like the outcome of episode nine fittingly the outcome of episode nine and so for her to – she was understandably distraught by what has all appearances of the dissolution of her – of their relationship, right, with his death, which mm-hmm. then leads her to the 
utterly staggering and impossible fully to parse reality, right, of no, it's worse, right? Like the the grief beyond the end of the world, the parting beyond the end of the world um, that she had not even really processed at that point, which, again, should be in some sense coupled with a sense of wrongness, right? Mm. But, but, but no, that wasn't our doom. A heavy doom is laid upon us, and that doom involved our being together. This is not just sad. This is wrong in some sense, right? This is that we're... This this is not how it should be. Um, mm. And then here, Lorne, escape from bondage. The grief, like the, the response, the emotional response to, you know, here, Lorne's sort of maternal embrace there. and But then also the realization, like the, I get the escape from bondage, the, the, the realization, wait a second. It could come then at that moment, right? Having gone through all of this grief, that moment to realize... No, it wasn't our doom to go to Ang. I mean, it wasn't only our doom to go to Angband and reclaim the Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. Our doom is still ahead of us. We are, you know, um, you know, it's like she then realizes why she had thought she had asked him to wait for her just like because it was like a spontaneous out cry of her own grief in the moment, right? Um, her own clinging to their relationship as it seems to be ripped away from them. But now she realizes, no, like there's something right about that. Like he is waiting for her and she should go um, because their destiny lies there. So if she only like kind of has that realization in that, in the moment of the song, and then she like has that release and then dies, right? And her body, because anyway. So at that point in the story, we cannot go too far into that because of mm. the, it gives everything away. Yeah. But okay. we can introduce it. Yeah. So one thing to do is that concept of the story is not over. Yeah. There's something more to do. It wasn't supposed to end this way. Right. That kind of thinking matches the grief. And doesn't sound like Luthien has a concrete plan to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Just this, yeah, yeah. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. It's different. And then later on, when they're standing before Namo, and he's asking them why Baron was waiting for her and all of that, in that conversation, it can come out. Because he asked Luthien to explain it. So at that yeah, point, no, Luthien could I... say more about the, I knew we had a yeah. purpose I knew we had something to do. Yep. It's not over yet. Yep. And so when I asked him to wait, that's why I yep. was asking him to hold on. There's yep. something yep. more to do. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. So she can say it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she can I, feel it now. She can feel it now. I, yeah. I was I was actually um trying to hint at that through mm-hmm. that conver- that very conversation that there like there was something at work there because like Namo's trying to figure out what, how, how did this happen? Like, like, this is not supposed to happen this way. How did this happen? Yeah. And like, I was trying to suddenly hint at the fact that Eru is at work here. You know, like Luthien very clearly has a lot of juice. She's even able to, to impact the, the very, structure of mandos right right but even that is and then gets called to the principal's office for right it yeah, yeah. <laughs> even th- even that is part is is part of 
Eru working through the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so what I would ask is that can we do what you're what you're talking about here in this scene and kind of couch it as a as a as a why like because that's a very human question that the elves don't tend to ask like why did we go through all this why why were we even here right why did we like why because clearly some great doom was laid upon baron to even get him into dorian in the first place he shouldn't have even been able to do that yeah yeah exactly and right yeah and one of the other things is picking up on another point that i really liked but one of the things so for two reasons, I loved the presence of the Silmaril, like the, the repeated presence of the Silmaril in this episode. I loved mm-hmm. it. Um, first of all, because I just loved the way it's always by Thingol. Like it's it's always shining over like the gorgeous radiance of the Silmaril shining over Thingol's shoulder like a and rebuke. Kind of loves and hates it. Yes, exactly. That Exactly. Yeah. No, the way in which it's. Yeah. It's like a reproach to him continuously right mm-hmm. loved that the kind of the the gorgeous Silmaril and its lovely setting and like but it is a source of torment to Thingol mm-hmm. um uh I, I I thought I thought that was that was phenomenal but the other thing is that um it also seems to set up this larger question right that there is a great doom upon them they're going to do something that's going to change the world and for all appearances, it looks like they already have. Like, clearly, obviously, getting the Silmaril was it, right? That was the thing. And yet, we see the end of that. We see the fruit of that all the way through this episode. There it is. Silmaril acquired. You know, that's job complete. Mission accomplished. Doom achieved. And look, look how lame it is. Like, it's... And it's de- depressing. And, like, no, you know... The, just that that clear sense of like that, that that can't be it, that can't be it. Even if you're not aware of, as we've already even before the last scene with the Feanorians, given people reason to remember that the acquisition of a Silmaril is only going to cause trouble, right? As he himself is remembering in the future. So like the audience too. Should, like, there, there are these really pretty subtle hints to the audience to have um, uneasiness with the idea that mm. the quest is achieved, mission is accomplished, their story is 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 done. Right? They've they've uh, you know the realization that Luthien comes to. No, wait, that's not what our doom was about. It's really about this. It's mm. is a thing that should resonate. I think, um, and so I love the way that the Silmaril was used as like a prop for that. I, I, so if if that's a tangent, that's fine. Or do you want to move on to talk about that? Or do you want to finish talking about Luthien and, and Herolorn before we we touch on that scene to any further there's so, degree? There's so many things. Okay, I know, I know. It's, um, it's a big deal. I yeah, I want. So I wanted to mention Thingol and the Silmaril because I love that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Uh, the thing I'm shy about moving on from this slide mm-hmm. ab- about, but don't really want to segue to talking about now because it's a later question, but just help me to remember to talk about it before we get back, is Melian. Melian's realization of her mortality. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. But, yeah. But let's, 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 let's do Mando's first. Um, mm-hmm. Last things about Hero Lorne that you wanted to say to add in there? No, I, I essentially, as long as... I, 
as long as it's kind of couched in a in a in a question yeah rather than a a statement because if we oh, yeah, start yeah. giving her totally. too Fine. much yeah. confidence yeah. in what's yep. no, no, no. going on yeah yeah. Not not confidence. Uh, no, like the idea, like a, a version of this story in which Luthien is sublimely confident from one end to the next is a parody version of this story. Yeah. But I, I, I was just and, trying and to I, emphasize I, that I element. I really want to keep yeah. her completely on her totally. back foot in a way that she's never been throughout totally. this episode until until the thing happens. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So let's... Um, Oh, hang on a second. All right. Now we'll come back to the other stories. Let's 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 go to Mando's. Okay. okay. Um. Okay. I love the work that we've done to make clear, like who this individual is that's guiding Luthien around. Yeah. Around Mando's. Yeah. Like that made that so, so much easier. Like, of, of course, we could just lean onto the, the imagery, right? And people would kind of get it. Yeah. But to kind of grant this understanding in, in a way that um, that wouldn't have been as clear. No, I agree. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, the one thing I was missing, actually, in that regard was I was. Um, I kind of wanted the the you know the reaper maya to show up at Hirolorn, basically and and call her over like mm. for her to be called over to mandos instead of just showing up but um i mean she was going there on purpose on the one hand so like yeah. it's it's not like there was any it's question, question. Of whether, yeah yeah it, and it's also like that's possibly that possibly did happen we just didn't see yeah i know i know but it was the i just think of the parallel with 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 episode mm. 1 of course um now, of course, yeah. we, we we already get that, you know, kind of closing that loop with the, you know, the plenty of activity showing the other side. Right. You know, the. Um, yeah. Right. So most of this episode is seen from Luthien's point of view. Yeah. And something like that would maintain that. But for her death scene, it might be better for the audience to feel like she's gone. Yeah. Mm. Which is why we go to two other scenes before yep. we show her waking yep. up in Mandos. Yeah. We we need to take Luthien off screen for a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah. No, I like and that. And so if the if the Reaper showed up and Luthien as a spirit was interacting with the Reaper, she wouldn't feel dead to the audience. Right. And yeah. we want the audience to to feel the loss. Yeah. yeah. There there needs to be a moment of mourning for Luthien yeah. by the by the and, audience. Yeah. And the like the audience who isn't in the know, which, I mean, like, the, the, this isn't the world we live in anymore, but the audience who isn't in the know, like, Luthien just died. Right. We just watched her die. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's it. We, right. don't, we don't know that we're going to see more. Right. It's like one of those moments, you know, where I touch the screen of my iPad to see how much time is left in the episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Watching the swing for 15 minutes. <laughs> exactly. It seems like a short episode. Is it just me? Um, yes, yes. Um, okay, so she... So that's, that, that's fine. So she shows up in Mandos, and, and um, she gets her tour. Um, mm-hmm. The tour was fun. Uh, the tour felt the tour felt very greek 
Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, it felt it felt very Greek. Um, yes. I loved uh, the uh, Amrod cameo. That was the Kinslayer's Ward. The Kinslayer's Ward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I loved that. Um, uh, I was. Um, yeah, I was. I, I I I was so excited to see Amrod again that I was like, I was hoping for way more cameos. Um, yeah, we got like the one cameo, and then we got like we were looking for another. Didn't get Finrod. Finrod was absent, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, um, he already got his his posthumous cameo. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and also, we got to get the line from the Cimmerillion in there, which was which I, I yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I also liked being able to to refer to Kelleborn the Wise. Um, yeah, no, that was fun. That was great. Like, yeah, yeah to have uh, have um, you know folks over in Mendos being that Kelleborn man. He knows what he's talking about. Like yeah. that. That's a guy who's got it together. Yeah. Um, yeah. That um, you know, whoever marries that guy is you know a lucky, 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 lucky woman. Girl, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but um, uh, oh, so the thing that I loved about Amrod still being burned, just just loved the way in which because, like, of course, like presumably people, viewers would still bear psychological scars from the, his death scene earlier on. Um, yeah. And so we'll remember his burning. And yet um, the way in which that's like reflected in his fea, right, is pretty cool. Um, and the way in which he's being healed also, yeah. Yes. So like that the burning of Amrod becomes sort of like posthumously a metaphor for like the – the um, which is very, very apt, right? Like Feanor's burning spirit and, uh, you know, so the whole kinsling thing, like the – the um you know burned with fire it, the way that it retroactively <laughs> makes amrod's um the way that it retroactively makes amrod's death into like a metaphor for the sin of the kinslaying right yeah. um and the damage that the kinslaying does to the souls of those I, that was awesome Love. anyway so i was so excited about that cameo and how that worked i was like more cameos i was like because so, yeah. but so here's i mean i think this has to be a rule right and this is like clearly um the, i mean uh, homer and virgil uh, observe this rule and Dante observe this rule very meticulously. And that is you can't introduce a new section of the underworld and not have a famous person exemplar in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So like Amrod having Amrod be the poster child of the, of the Kinslayer's ward. Fantastic. Right. But come on now. Like we, if we're, if we're introducing other wards, like we need other representative elves. Yeah. I, we, we, we it's we've seen economy. I know, I know, but but see, that's the beauty of this kind of cameo. Like you don't you don't have to it, it, it's on screen yeah. fifteen seconds. For instance, in the ward where it's the adults who are playing like children. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Give me There's no reason you can't put somebody from the kinslaying. Yes. Just a recognizable thing. Yeah. So or literally any character we've killed to this point. Like you could have Evelos. You could have Alway. You can have Galadriel's mom. You can have Fingolfin's sister. Yep. Like you can pick somebody and put them in that scene. Yep. Without calling them out, because Luthien wouldn't necessarily be like, "Oh, it's so and so about whoever right. it is." Right. But they can still be there. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would be fun to see Ethelos, you know, enjoying herself rather more than, than when last we saw her. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, that that could be done. Okay. Yeah. So not, all right. by cameo, that's all I, I mean. I, I, I really I mean. like that, actually. Yeah. A recognizable face. Again, this, you know, you don't have to go full, uh, you know... Full, Here's the history of this character. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and <laughs> let's go do an interview with him, like Dante would. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't, you, you don't have to go there. Just okay. we recognize yeah. somebody. Let let Evelas have a nice day. Let Evelas have a nice day. Arwen is a good one, but I feel like she's already gone. I feel like she's already made it out. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. So. I mean, she was Kinslade, which I imagine is pretty traumatic. But and she was part of the fight. She was shooting arrows. That's right. true. And She's leading herself troops. a Kinslayer. Therefore, technically a Kinslayer. Yeah. I, okay. All right. Well, let's break the rule then. Let's have her in the Kinslayer Award. Ah, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it's the Aqualande Memorial Award is what it is. Yes. <laughs> Anyone yeah. at Aqualande can hang out here. Yeah, <laughs> Kinslayers. And victims they of are Kinslayers. Kinslayers. Oh, yeah. man. No, but, but I mean, yeah, if it, it's a... Though, like presumably, like innocents murdered at Alquilande wouldn't wouldn't be there, right? That's true. But That's those true. who fought back and and slew Fanorians, Kinslayers, man. I, I mean, it's still going to hurt you. Like it's still going to do damage. And again, because yeah. and that's what I. I, so I, I mean, it's a hospital ward, right? This is not about like. This it's is not punishment. It's not punishment. Yeah, right. they're, they're not receiving punishment. They're all receiving treatment. Um, yeah. yeah, and and Yarwin is Galadriel's first cousin. Mm. So of all the people she meets, that Galadriel, that's a Galadriel's mom, Luthien's first cousin. Luthien keeps meeting people she's related to. But right. she doesn't she doesn't know who Arwen is. So the viewer, the canny viewer, who with a very yeah. long memory, will recognize her. But, yeah. but it, it did like that Luthien was related to almost everyone ever. Mm. Be like, as my cousin used to say. Well, that's a, and then, yeah, that's that is and a then as my thing, other yes. cousin, who's like on a very different branch of the family. Yes. And then, you know, my husband's family, who are all human. And, right. you know, she knows literally everyone in Mandos because right. she's somehow connected to the whole world, apparently. Yes. Yes. It's because she's Elrond's ancestor and so therefore is connected with everybody. Right. Because <laughs> clearly you only get to be written about in the Silmarillion if you're related to Elrond. Exactly. He's the center of the genealogical universe. Of well, we're the gonna get there. Exactly, we sure will. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, David. Oh, yeah. The the um, he was thinking mm-hmm. of uh, Elenwe for the play mm-hmm. ward. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. That's yeah, a good I, one I was actually thinking of Elenwe too. Um, that she would be a fun person to to see because uh, it doesn't have to be just one. Yeah. There could be multiple recognizable faces there. But Luthien yeah. does specifically recognize someone, and she has met at a loss which would make that easier um yeah yep. whereas she's never met ellen way and, and no. so she would be talking about somebody else who is not the person we're yep. Yep. we're seeing yeah were there other wards I'm, I'm i'm blanking now i remember the kinslayer ward we went right from there to the uh to the door of mourning to the to the door of mourning okay yeah okay the player, the um mourning. Yeah. uh okay so Um, so I didn't think that, um, I was not prepared 
for like an additional layer of tragedy to the Ignor and Andreth story. <laughs> that was that was so horrible. <laughs> that was so horrible. Um, horrible um, is my best move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and again, Luthien wins at everything she does. Yeah. So trying to convince anyone watching the story play out that she's not just going to waltz in here and be like, I'm with him and we can be together. Right. We had to show what the problem is. And the only other couple available is Agnar and right. Andreth. Yeah. And conveniently enough, Andreth had to die in this episode right. to allow the house of Bayor to migrate again. Just like Adonel had to kind of be like, I'm just going to retire here. You all can leave. Right. Same thing. So then she was dying anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that oh, was awesome. Uh, so the, the and the thing that I the two things, I mean, just apart from the honestly, I was more broken up about Ignor and Andreth reading it than I was about Luthien's sorrow at the beginning of the episode. Mm. Um, but um, the um the thing that I really because the, the two elements of it that I like most is that first of all, I mean, again, like the hands thing, right. To like recapitulate, to give like a new visual image of what it looks like for the, their hands to be reaching out to each other across the void, but not, but failing to touch. Right. Um, that we got a new sort of visual on that was amazing. Um, but we also get, this clear sense of Luthien can see them both, right? You know, she is not, there's Ignor and Andreth, and she's not either, you know, she alone can see them both. There's something different about her. Yeah. Um, there's something different about her status. And so that's really sort of the first clear sense. I mean, I know the first hint that we got was when the Maya was like, whoa, you can see them? Like, you know, I didn't expect that, right? Yeah. Um yeah. But uh yeah, yeah. Um the the so the the humans cannot speak thing was was tough because it was hard to do it without being a little hand wavy and they, we originally came up with a one hand wavy way which was they can't speak in the presence of the door and then I came up with a different hand wavy way which is that they're they're not they don't have leave to speak unless Mando like they cannot speak here at all unless Mando just gives them leave. And I, 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 it was so Homeric that I was just yeah. like, this is like the yeah, most well, that's, element of the entire thing, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you didn't have a pool of blood for them to drink. Uh, no, uh, to no, be able to so. to unlock their tongues, but um, but yeah. short of that, it was exactly. I mean, I was so straight out of the Odyssey. Um, mm. um, the The one thing I didn't love was the um, like the touching of the throat was kind of cool, but it felt mm. a little too casual, you know. Um, I originally had a line mm. there to to explain what she was doing, um, which we kind of 
felt maybe wasn't really necessary because it's obvious what she's doing, right? Because then Baron begins to speak. Yeah. But maybe the having the line gives it more momentousness. Uh, well, I I just so okay. The thing that I disliked about it was the fact that it gives the impression that the humans could talk and the people could make them talk anytime they wanted to. They just don't right. usually bother. But now they're right. like, oh, well, anyway, I guess we might as well let you speak. Yeah. So here, let's do okay. that. So it, did, it didn't have the momentousness of it. Like um, a human will be permitted to speak now for the first time. Like it, I mean, it was almost like a, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the mute button and turn his sound on, right, is what it, it, it almost had like, the, which again, it's, which doesn't convey this, like, this is, this is a big deal, right? So something, if his speech could be tied into the moment when, we could blame it on Luthien, he could speak as soon as she does her thing that almost breaks Mando's, she could unlock his voice. Oh, that's can make Namo so mad. He's already like irritable well, with her. Like, and they get called the principal's office, breaking all the rules. Um, yeah, David. That specifically the the original line specifically says that Namo grants you the uh, you know the ability to speak specifically for this audience, right? Um, so at least bringing that back would make it very, very clear that it's not right. just her that's doing that on her own. But then again, like once he gets the, to speak just for that audience, they're chatting in the hallway all the way up, right? Like yeah. it's not just for the audience really. I mean, it's not, it's not uh, only to address mm-hmm. Namo, you know, in, in the trial or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Right there. He's granted speech from that point onward. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's obviously a bit of mercy implied in that. Yeah. Right. And that was that was my intention. It was that it yeah. was kind of part to... of the issue with giving lines to this Maya is that this is very much exposition Maya. So like here you see in the Halls of Vandos mm-hmm. things work like this. Yes. Yeah. And so it's anywhere we can show instead of tell is great if it works. So if it's going to be something Luthien does and there's an obvious side effect, it's fine. If we want Nama yeah. to have control of his halls, maybe. The, yeah. the reason I don't love giving Baron the power of speech when Luthien does the thing there is that it, I feel like if he says anything there, it's going to like break the, because it gets really tense really quick. Right, um, like she nearly breaks the world, and now there's now the Maiar are like actively like restraining her will in a way. Um, I don't, it's not meant to be super obvious that that's what's happening, but right. um, and so I feel like if he opens up and starts talking there, like, uh, guys. <laughs> Well, like but see, that escalated quickly, right? Yeah. But what I like about it is that it mirrors her telling him to wait for her, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, basically, she's recapitulating. She, she, when he was dying, she says, "Wait for me," and then when he's about to pass through the gates, 
she says again, wait for me, right? Like, you know, don't go. And so her, she's reasserting her connection with him, right? And that connection with him, there's already something obviously different about her. She can see both the elves and the humans and everything, right? Um, So when she reasserts her union with him, it actually does succeed in breaking the world. And what I think it's possible to imply there is that this is not just Luthien flexing and, you know, threatening to break the world. But this is the doom. Like... Yeah. The, well, no, that's the right. doom. As, like she is, right. she is, she is a she is speaking their doom, right? Like you cannot leave. Like our, it is our doom to be together. You cannot leave. Wait. You know, I said, wait for me, stay with me. And he does. And he speaks to her and, and then, yeah, then everyone's like, you know, what the man so, does is going on here. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, that eliminates the need for any hand waving whatsoever they cannot speak period yeah not they cannot speak unless they cannot speak they can't speak we just take that completely out of the equation and then her him being restored the power of speech because of her reconnecting of that union it's the flip side of her being able to see both elves and humans right like the both of them are weird now and she's like unlocked the weirdness with her assertion mm-hmm. his weirdness right with the assertion of, yeah yeah just that yeah. and and this is what um it's it's le- when when mando's call when you know when namo calls them he doesn't so much say what have you done right his message is what is going on here right how, this, right well that's his 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 verbiage is kind of like how could you do this right but he, but i think he would know like they didn't he would just be like, I think that's, what, yeah, right. He arrives there is kind of what I'm going for is, is like, yeah. you, like, you know, your, your strength is great, Luthien, but you, you cannot have done this. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Clearly we have a situation and I need to kick this up the chain. Right. Is basically Namo's response. Right. Well, see here. This was we had we had a lot of a lot of discussion about this. Right. Right. My goal through most of this has been to make Namo saying, "I have to to like I have to consult an outside. Uh, I have to get a second opinion on this." That feels very much like that has to be a result of the song. In order to maintain the dramatic, gotcha, right? Gotcha. Like Luthien has to do a thing which causes that. If he says that he's going to do that, and then she sings, and then he goes and does it, what did the song do? It's true. I hadn't thought of the way in which this kind of potentially, the scene is, especially the scene as we've been describing it here, kind of marginalizes the song. Mm. Potentially. Yeah, um, well, I mean, and. Like it's just we we need to know, like what why is the song? So why is the song important? Does yeah. it just mean that he goes to bat for them now instead of? But then now we have to show that whole scene in order for in order for that to to yeah. play out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the 
effect of the song. I mean, in a sense, in a sense, we're signaling that there's something strange and outside the normal patterns that he's probably going to need to consult, you know, Manway and Iluvatar about from from Luthien's first arrival, right? Yeah. The fact that she's weird and, you know, people aren't really – there's no protocol for her already. And then that she can see the humans and the elves. I mean, there are lots of reasons already to think – Okay, this is not going to be ye old standard judgment of Mandos going on here mm-hmm. with her soul. Um, right. And then, of course, if we have the, you know, with the whole breaking of the door of mourning and the Baron speaking things and stuff, it does begin. When I say to that it, that it could sort of undermine or marginalize the song, like even before she sings, she doesn't even have to sing before Mandos has got to have a pretty clear idea that something quite extraordinary is going yeah. on and that he needs to kick it up the chain. So the op- the alternative then becomes, what then if it's not... Okay. So, so one of the things that I did do was kind of make it so that Mandos is pretty clear about what's going on, what has to happen with Baron. He's got to go through the door, which is true. Yeah, yeah. Now ultimately they're gonna they're gonna delay that they're gonna forestall that but like when they're in their interlude with Namo he's convinced he's like Baron's gotta go through the door what happens to you that's weird right you're weird you're weird but she's weird from the beginning right like, we, we, we I have known that you were gonna be weird right there's nothing non weird about I can't her yeah see what's going to happen to you yes. You know, yes. like I, I can see what's going to happen to Baron. He's, he's going to go through the door. Yes, he must. Yes, I cannot see you. I cannot see what you're going, what, what to do with you. Yes, and the, you know, then, then she sings the song, and that's when he's moved by the song. Which is the way that I mean in the book that's the way it's described. Is is, is um, in in fact in the book there's no discussion whatsoever. She goes to Mandos and, and sings. sings the song, yes. and then he is he is convinced at that point. Okay, I I there's something different going on here. I have to do a thing. Yeah, the reason different. one of the reasons we're having like kind of trouble is that we've added stages. You know, right. to that whole thing. Um, but let's go back a second and think. Um, what is the effect of the song on Mandos? That is, what does it change? What does it accomplish exactly? What does he do as a con- as a consequence of the song? No, wait. Let's ask the question back a further step. What does Namo do? At all. Like, what's his role here? Is he, is he just a messenger boy? Is he just like, uh, hang on, no clue. I, I, I've got standing orders. This is this does not fit my standing orders. Got to go ask my superior. Be right back. I'm going to go. And then, like, Manway consults a Louvatar and he comes back and he's like, okay, now I'm just going to I'm going to do what they said. In which case, he's he's not taking any independent action at all. Right. Um. Or right. what is his action? What is what is actually in Namo's authority to decide in this case with Luthien and Baron? 
and then in order and we see that then how does the song influence him in how he makes that decision so marie what do you think in there so the idea of their natures yeah being what they are he's well aware of that yeah and so the whole baron has to go through the door yeah and luthien cannot no yes. valid current state yeah right he can't go through the door it so fit. that's not the problem but he cannot go yeah. through that door and and neither can luthien so yeah. right he knows this and that's a done deal and there's really nothing to do about it the idea of going to ask Iluvatar for an exception to change that outcome is where he takes action. Because if he just did what he's supposed to do based on who they are, then he sends Baron through the door. He keeps Luthien and Mandos. She's real sad about it, so she stays there probably forever. And it's over. Mm-hmm. So, so it is his, a question of Nama going to bat for them. Basically. He has to decide to go ask for a change in the yes. nature of the world. Because that first option he presents to Luthien mm-hmm. is just a nicer version of what would happen to her anyway. Yeah. Like, yes. you yeah. can heal here and go to Valinor, and won't that be lovely? Yeah. In but, other words, you can be an elf. Like, that's, that's yeah. Which yeah. she already is. That's not so special the, treatment, yeah. Right, there's nothing. So he could have offered that to her before talking to yeah. Luvatar. Sure. It's, it's, it's interesting that, the, so... And and it changes the math a little bit the way that we've constructed this. In the uh, it, when he's presenting that choice, he doesn't say you can remain here in Mendos and heal. No, no, he says you can go to Valimar and heal. Uh, right. Uh, which, I'm going to send you to the special based, suite. Yeah. Well, based on the story that we've told up until this point. Maybe he doesn't want her in there trying to break things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've got a bet. I've I've got a good place for you. Far from here. That's that's yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the idea is that that's someplace you go after you've been reembodied. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so so he's offering the I'm giving you kind of a fast track option. Is is the, right. so there's yeah okay. the healing spirit and body together again. Go live in a lovely place where nothing bad ever happens to anybody. Yeah. Maybe a lot like Doriath, except you know better. Except better. Yeah. Yeah. So, please stop talking to the humans and messing with them. <laughs> exactly sense. right. Can we please just let the operation run smoothly like it usually does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. So, so the idea of Luth moving Namo to pity is he finds a solution for her that was not on the table beforehand. Yes. And. He can't do it by himself, which is why he has to kick it up the chain. Right. But it's he not doesn't have he... the authority to execute the thing he wants to do. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not him just saying, I don't know what to do here. Better check in with the boss man. Right. It's a, I can't help you. Right. I have but a plan. But if I talk to my manager. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there might be something we right. can do here, but I yes. don't have the authority to right. fix it. Exactly. I have a plan. I can't ex- enact that plan, but I'm going to put in a word with the person mm-hmm. who can enact my plan and we'll see if we can get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is there. The, the trouble is that we're not giving Namo a lot of lines to explain what he's doing because – you can't go from Luthien singing about grief and the marring of Arda mm-hmm. and the th- third theme of yeah. the music of the Ionar to Namo going, huh, 
I should probably go talk to my boss about this. Right. Like you, you bring some good, you bring up some good points. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. Like it just, you can't do that transition. So the way Nick's written it is we see virus tapestry yeah. to understand what's happening, to, to keep it at that very high emotional point where it's being expressed without words is great. Again, he can't explain himself. <laughs> just like footnote, yeah. love the tapestries. Uh, well, I just really liked that part because we could see Vire making it. So the fact that there's tapestries everywhere is cool, but that's her voice in this. Yes. And without seeing her working on it, it might not be obvious to the viewer that yeah, yeah. the tapestry on the yeah. wall have anything to do with the woman sitting in the corner. So yeah. I, I liked that a lot. So quick. All right. So one other element here. Um, he's going to. So the pity that he's going to show is that he is going to convince he's going to intercede with his boss to make to intercede with his boss to make an exception for Luthien and the exception is that she can become mortal and therefore not be you know that he's going to fix the problem that she's singing that she was realizing about before that she's singing about now this permanent separation, this thing, which is like in the, at the very core of the fabric of, uh, of the marring of Arda, but the resurrection deal, that's a separate package, right? Mm. I mean, if he's going to grant her mortality, he could just be like, and well, but of course you're already dead. So and he he would still be doing her a huge favor to be like, and now you can go through the door of mourning with him and I won't separate you. We didn't put this in the dialogue. The way that we considered this was that she needs to, and I think this actually was from a discussion that we, the three of us had. Um, oh, Oh no. Um, Oops. So what Nick was about to tell you <laughs> is that you forgot a conversation that we had earlier on this podcast. Yes. In which we agreed that Luthien needed to live life as a mortal in order to become fully mortal. So because she had never been embodied as a mortal, right. her spirit couldn't just be zapped and made mortal oh, and see. sent through right. the door. Right. Now, there's a few challenges with working that into the script. One, again... Do we want a bunch of exposition right at the right. key moment when Lucien right. is choosing whether or not to be mortal? Yeah. That's a question. Yeah. And then after she gets back, we have no dialogue with her. So the chances of explaining it are fairly limited there. Right. Um, so, Nick, I just reminded him of the earlier conversation and um, of why we're not... No, and, oh, okay, and of why we um, don't have dialogue to that effect in the current script. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, yeah, I like that. So, <laughs> the question is, what do you want to do about that? Yes. Um... Sorry, my uh, my computer decided that now was the perfect time to restart to reboot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... You know, midnight. Yeah, no, I, I I told it to do it at two o'clock this morning, but apparently it ignored me. So I was what? trying to convince mine to do it at nine a.m. and it never believes me. But um, anyway, uh, so okay. So in other words, what how the resurrection deal comes in 
could even be a sort of a surprise to Luthien in the sense that um, she's going to be granted mortality and she could immediately think like, oh, so I get to go through the door of mourning too. Deal. Great. You know, yes, totally choose that, right? And then it's after that, basically, that Namo's like, yeah, so no. Um, it's more complicated than that, you know. Um, anyway, because uh, it really is like the extended package, you know, that he's explaining to her. I mean, it's, I mean, even in the book, that's how it comes across, right? Like you're choosing, choose basically like a really, you know, a, a slightly souped up version of your normal fate, right? Or choose mortality, stay with Baron, go through the door and you don't know what happens, right? So when she's, cho- she's not choosing resurrection, right? She's not like, oh yeah, send me back. That's totally what, that gets added on. They're like, and like, you know, um, you know, with this comes resurrection and, you know, a bonus set of knives. Like it, it's explained after the choice. Right. So. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I, I think we, we don't have to link it explicitly to that. It can just be explained like, well, no, this is this is this is how that's going to work. That's good, because um, once he presents the choices, as soon as the. Or you could become mortal choices on the table. We know he's like, yes, I want to be with him and I'm going to choose that one. Yes. Like there's there's really no tension between no. those two choices. No. It's no but brand. to have Namo issue a surprise right. at the end would still be like, oh, okay, there's still some new information here. Yeah. So exactly. it can it could still be good if, if Namo is inserting something after the choices are on the table. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because the other thing and here's the other thing that I really love about this is that it's one of the things that I have felt for a long time and I that not everybody comes out of this story with. Like, I think that many people emerge from the Baron and Luthien story believing that the like ultimate escape from bondage is the resurrection. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the escape from death, like they escaped even from death. Right. And came back to life. That's the like the final. Gra- I mean, even thinking of what Tolkien talks about, the great escape. Right. You know, the, the meaning, the escape from death. I mean, he's clearly kind of playing with that at the end of this story. But the great irony of the end of the Baron and Luthien story is that thing which he calls the great escape, capital G, capital E, which is the mor- mortals escape from death. He's re- you know, Baron dies and is resurrected and comes back from the dead. But it's not the point. It's not the resurrection. Like, or like it, it's not the that isn't, in fact, the final escape. And so I like the way in which if we especially if we we do the delay thing. Right. And it's just like, oh, NPS, like since you've already done this, since you've already achieved, you know, this sort of escape, then um, you also we're I'm going to I have no choice but to resurrect the both of you. Uh, for a little I, bit. I'm now never going to be able to watch The Great Escape the same way again. <laughs> now I'm always going to see it as a metaphor in which for mortality, German prison, <laughs> German prison camp is the world we live in, exactly, and the outside world is. That's even the metaphor Tolkien uses that. in on fairy stories when he's talking about escape. From a prison, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the whole point is that in a human story, escape from death is really cool and amazing. So yes. there's lots of stories about people either trying to accomplish that or what the effects might be, blah, blah, blah. But this is an elvish story. So they don't care about escape from death. 
They care about escape from deathlessness. Right. And the only one who can escape that is Luthien. Right. And, but like, that's the cool thing is that both of those stories, like both the human kind of escape story about immortality and the elf kind of escape story about mortality, neither of them see the point. Like the Baron and Luthien story is like the real truth that underlies like both of those things, both the elvish impulse towards death and the human impulse towards deathlessness, okay. right? Are both of them like like understandable, natural impulse, but they're both kind of missing the point, right? And the point ultimately is like the one that the Baron We Luthien, should be yeah. together. Exactly. Is the point. This is it. This is it. It's the escape. So, ultimately, it's the escape from the separation. That's the, that's the final escape. So I have a question that this – that – this has is now reminding me of that this this is something that has kind of always bothered me. So Tuor and Idril's fates are yeah. not clear. No. Not at all. Right? Not at all. Um but are they fated to be separated for all eternity, no matter what happens? I mean, Arendil and Elwing are are weird, obviously, because they're both really half elven. Like it, it, the text keeps talking about Arendil as as if he's human, but we all know that he he isn't. No, he just isn't. No. So um, the general idea is here what Namo tells Baron and Luthien. Baron has to go through the door, and he can't do anything to change that. Luthien changing to become mortal and then having the ability to go through the door is a thing that can happen if Iluvatar says so. So that's a change in nature that is possible. But taking the gift of men away from mortals who are men, or at least partially men, (laughs) is not a thing. So that means that in general, the fate of Tuor and Idril should be separate. Unless they get some kind of special dispensation we don't know about, or yeah. unless the story where Tor becomes an elf also is true. So and, like, yeah. Well, exactly. This is this or, is or the, the story where he lives in a pineapple under a sea under the sea or something like that with it, with Olmo. We it, could it, really I, do the curveball move. Like, let's go with the undersea pineapple story. Um, yeah, yeah. The, um, there's. And then, the, if the anybody challenges that, us, we'll say because this was most true to the spirit of Tolkien. That's why we did this. But um, <laughs> anyway, no, no, no. Right. But there's there, yeah. and yeah. So the other couple is Dior and Nimloth. Yeah, they're also in a similar situation. So by uh, showing, Dior, well, Dior actually is, is wholly human, right? Entirely because human. Hundred percent human. He should be. Dior yeah. should be mortal because he has mortal parents. Yep. And Nimloth should be fully an elf, so they should be separated at death. But anyway, um, to go back to this episode, we've got the Andreth Ignor thing in there specifically because there is an example of somebody else who tried to do this and it didn't work very well and they got separated forever. Yeah. Because they never got married. That's their mistake. But it's yeah. possible they that. Right. And it's possible other married couples are going to go through that same separation. Yep. The whole dispensation for the half-elven is meant to remedy that. But part of Art of Mart is, yeah, sometimes you get separated for the end of eternity, and that's really terrible. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Tuor Idril and D.R. Nimloth are both probably very unhappy endings. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, we, I think we need to prepare for this event. Of course, this is a, not a now problem, um, but certainly this is opening the door, right, to all of those questions, which we get to deal with later on. And unlike Tolkien doing a longer form adaptation of the kind that we're doing, we don't have the luxury of burying it in a it is said paragraph, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like maybe it all worked out for them. Who, yeah, we don't know. Though there's rumors that this happened, but who knows? Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, we do have some challenges there, and it's possible that we're going to have to make Tour and Idril have a tragic ending. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, everyone expects Dior and Nimloth to, because you know they get killed in a. There's nothing flame, non-tragic so. about like their entire lives, but yes, right. Yeah. yeah so, like, indeed. that's fine. But Tour and Idril, you're like, no. <laughs> I totally agree them. with David Michael Roberts that the fate of the half elven is a late game patch after release day. Um, yeah, totally agree. <laughs> but anyway, oh, okay. We're have kids. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll. That's a this all. Yeah, this all, these these are all really fun problems that will arise later on. Um, however, um, I think that's. Fine. I think we're good. I think, I mean, again, we still have the empty socket where the song will sit uh, in order to really see how that's going to bring things together. But, um, but again, the thing that I love most about how this is all structured and how this is all working is the way in which it can make clear the fact that like escape from death, like the resurrection is not the, 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 the big escape is not the the final, you know, that when we, when we come to find out what the release from bondage is, um, it's only in this episode that we've really learned. We've had hints, right. But we have now, and, 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 and it, Nick, it passes the test, right. It passes the test. Like when you look back over everything that we've said about like all the patterns of prison and escape from prison that we've done all the way through the through line that, connected all of the escapes from prison earlier on was the prioritization of them being together, right? Of their togetherness. So that to, to realize um, that separation is the thing, you know, that they're escaping from um, uh, is, is a beautiful kind of like, it's a thing we've always known from, you know, Episode four, at least, right? Um, and yet, it's also a new, uh, you know, a, a new realization, a new processing of that. So, I like it. I like it. Awesome, Kanji. Looking forward to looking forward to the song. Looking forward to the song. Um, it's one of the people working on it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It'll be good. It'll be good. Um, uh, okay, before we go. Melian, um, loved the healing of the winter of Thingol. All that stuff was good. Again, that that amazing scene where Melian is hearing what he's thinking about. Um, all that stuff is great. Um, here's another thing, another suggestion for which I have no remedy. Um, and that is, I don't know how to convey. I didn't feel like it hit hard enough, but I don't know how to hear how to hit harder. Her reaction, Melian's reaction, you know, like, 
there's that big line, right? You know, and that like her grief in that moment was greater than any grief had ever been in the history of the world, right? And it's like it happens quick. Um, it happens without dialogue. It shouldn't have dialogue, I think. But anyway, so like, I have no idea how to convey the incredible weight of that moment in a short scene in which she doesn't even have any dialogue, right? But, but anyway, it just it felt like it went by really fast, and I don't. As I say, I have no idea what to do with it. But um, we can touch on it again in the epilogue. When we have all those tapestries, we're mm. saying the first tapestry is Baron and Luthien happy together in Tolgallon. Yep. Which is the reason you get the full map of Beleriand because yep. it's the only way to get Tolgallon on it. <laughs> right. um, but then we could go from there to something about Melian's grief of Melian alone mm-hmm. on a tapestry. Mm-hmm. Oh, Nick, you're hard to hear. Oh, yeah, we got microphone issues. Oh, wait, hang on. Are you still muted or something? No. No. No, not quite yet. Here. How about now? There we go. Okay. Okay. I have returned. Um, We never leave. It's all one tapestry in the end. Yeah. Um, But what we... She can be separate from them. What we could do is, like, it wouldn't be that hard to spend a little bit more time with just the two of them because we we go in a pretty rapid sequence. Um, but it could be a um, we could go from the scene where they where they where they first return instead of going directly into the we are presenting them scene we could go to a scene where it's just luthien and melian sitting together and we can see melian's grief and 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 luthien like consoling her you know with the like you know this is this is what needed to be mother you know um yeah yeah it would I, be I would I would rather put it in there than try to to then get away from the the path to Arendel which is what the which what the tapestry scene at the end right. is all about right 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 yeah yeah no I could I guess I said I I can't it's not like they're weird to add a scene in a bunch of dialogue or something like that I mm. mean it's 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 uh it may even be something that we have to kind of circle back to you know in a future and, season with Melian. and we can always do that yeah 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 uh to make sure that people don't miss it uh, I mean like I, I mean I, I guess if I guess it's true that the the sort of the ideal handling of this here under these circumstances is to show enough so that people who understand, you know, people who are really tracking or people who know the story will see it and will get what her look means in that moment. Um, but we don't have time to sit and talk about it and really develop it. So for everybody who doesn't get it, we can do that later and then they can yeah. rewatch the episode and be like, Oh, that was what was happening there. Right. Um, right. As yeah. long as it's there. Um, but I, I don't think that adding a, a, a little vignette where that, like a, a little 
piece where we illustrate right that a little bit more yep. clearly yep. is is would be a problem at all yeah the tapestries were fun um i admit i did not see the tom bombadil uh uh cameo coming in the tapestry that was pretty that was pretty cool we ran out of time. Yeah, I know. It was like and a this was a tough a, one because it was an eleventh like, hour Tom Bombadil cameo. It's not the first, not the first, right? Um, right. We had one during the um, during the the rising of the, the sun. Of the sun. Scene. Yeah, the rising of the sun. Yep. Yeah, which was last episode again. Yeah. So it's it's we got to be careful. Uh, we can't do that too many times. Well, we have Easterlings next season to play with, so we can go east of it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But... Mm. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, uh, that that basically came out of our discussion in episode 12 about mm. how um, Tom and Goldberry have basically a perpetual wedding. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? So trying to relate their story to Baron and Luthien's story. It's like, well, mm-hmm. they can walk by the tapestry. Every yeah. day's our anniversary. Um, and being, I mean, I, you know, Ted Naismith, who did my background here, is quite right about the willows, right? That, you know, uh, down there in Tolgallon. So, mm. yeah. 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 You know? Um, yep. And by the way, did did you did you notice the the young willow oh i did they, i did yes yes, yes. young yes. lad willow yes i yes. did notice young lad willow <laughs> I did. you know a ha- happier times happier happy times. times exactly yes. um the uh w- the scene where luthien returns like um i was trying to figure out how thingle how to do thingle's reaction and so I was like, like, I put myself in his shoes for a minute and I thought about it and I was like, okay, well, that would be kind of untoward to do as an, to like, as to an adult person, right? like the way I would react to my child coming back to me from, from the dead, right. God forbid. Right. Um, but Thingle's the tallest person that ever was. <laughs> yes. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. And yes. He's, you know, a mighty elf. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. Why, Why not? not? Why wouldn't he throw her? Why would he throw her? She was a yes. And Melian's like, she's actually more fragile than you think. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> if she breaks a bone, that's bad. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, right. She might get septic. So. You never know. These things happen with these mortals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I thought that was great. Um, um, yeah. The discussion between Baron and Luthien after the doom is laid was something that we talked a lot about. And so I would like to get your input on that to make sure that we didn't take that too far or if. Let's see. How remind me of that. that. Remind me of that. The their their dialogue there. What what, what are they? I'm not. So, I'm not recalling so Baron, this off the top of my head. Yeah, Baron basically is like, uh, you know, because she's like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm all in for right. that yeah. second option. Yeah, and Baron's like, wait, wait hang, hang hang on, hang bring on, on the mortality. Like, okay, right. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. just think about this for just a second. Just just. To which she second. basically answers, "Dude, we talked about this. Like right. you were there in episode nine, right? Like right. We're, yeah, um, yeah. 
it, it, uh, it, it's actually a really good moment. I, so, I mean, what I like about that, certainly what I like about that as an opportunity is for her to basically have the chance to vocalize like this. We agreed a doom yeah. was laid upon us to be together and to achieve like this is the thing that we were to achieve. Like we are right. Um, we are, you know, our hands are finally, you know, meeting across the void, um, not just for a moment, as everybody thought. Right. Mm-hmm. They were humoring us. Not that she says this, but they were humoring us in Doriath. Right. right? They were humoring us. They were kind of kind of laughing at not exactly. There was more weeping than laughing, but still like th- there was, you know, they did not take this seriously. Yeah. The wedding, like the, the wedding in which our you know hands were being joined, that was like a mockery in a sense. Right. That yeah. wasn't that was just the foretaste of this. And this is it. It's now we wedding. Yeah. This is our true wedding. This is our. This is this is our doom. This yeah. is the thing, you know. And now, like we have escaped, and um, yeah. you know, we, we have escaped from the separation. We have crossed the. We, you know, we have crossed the void. We have. Um, so yeah, like she doesn't have to like belabor it hideously, but mm-hmm. giving her a chance to actually say it in words, I think might mm. might be no bad thing. I mean, it's some pretty abstract metaphysics we're doing throughout right. this episode, you know. So, yeah. um, actually being a little bit explicit about that, it's it's pretty good, I think, to and have that opportunity. I wanted a chance to both illustrate Baron's faith, yeah, that it's going to work out okay, you know, while still having like. I still don't want the people I love to die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and also to give him a choice too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Mandos like now asks him, okay, so you're okay waiting. You could go. You could go right now. Mm-hmm. But you're okay waiting. Yes. Uh, which isn't, which shouldn't be a given. Right. Right. Not, not in the world that Tolkien paints for us. Yeah. But no, I just love the way in which, because uh, I mean, like he's been doing this. He's had this impulse. Like I'm going to leave you behind and go to Angban by myself. It's the same thing. It's the same. Yes. It's the same. Same conversation, right? Yes. Um, and so the way in which all of those conversations have basically set up this conversation this and enable out. her to just be like, you know, kind of smack him gently upside the head and say, "Oh, Baron, come on!" Like we've talked about this, yeah. <laughs> right? Do you really, um, really think that this is? Right. You're this is this is this. this is the same. This is the this is the this. Everything else we did was just preparation. We were this. This is yeah. the thing. Right. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Mm. Um, I think the only thing we have to talk about would probably just be the last couple of things, uh, like the the scene with Myveros and the um and the brothers, which obviously had to happen to some degree. Yeah. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised at the degree to which we did. I wasn't expecting, and that's not that it was like a super long scene, but it was longer than I expected it actually mm. to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is like, it came closer to actually describing, you know, the union of Mithros and, and mm. the, um, uh, but yeah, I'm not sure. Well, we had to. We the scene is is meant to set up what's coming. Mm-hmm. We need to have. We need to have something hanging over us for next season, 
Um, and also we need to show the relationship of the story of Baron and Luthien with the relation with the union of Maybros and how clearly it inspires that. And essentially the whole rest of the legendario. Right. Um, right. which is a, a, which is part of the you know the the final tag sequence. Um, you know, so I wonder though. I felt like this scene was a little long. It was like either too much or too little in a sense, right? Like yeah. I, I felt like it was kind of fitting into that. Like, um, I think I would have been content with a shot of Mythros standing on the parapets, right? Looking north um, and, you know, turning to Maglor and saying like, it's time or like, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like some guy, cause we don't need to know the whole story, like the whole plan and the whole rationale behind the plan. Cause we can get that in episode one of season, you know, seven. Right. So, um, we'll, we have time to get there and we can develop it more and the counter arguments and the, we should go for the Silmarillions instead. And, and the, like, you know, maybe let's not. And, and all that kind of thing. Like we'll have time for all that stuff, obviously in the beginning of, of season seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea that there should be a link to uh, Mythros and to the decision, um, you know, to show how the Union is being inspired by this, I like that. But again, I didn't think it necessarily needed the whole, the whole uh, discussion in that way. I I was concerned that if we didn't have an actual scene, that would be kind of not non-secular because it's not like i mean my verse is in episode episode one but that's that was really the the one of the main reasons why i wanted to have an actual scene where we wrapped up all the stuff with because right. Caliborn and corfin were there for half the season and we need and to they were last seen riding a horse off into the distance and being right. chased by huan right right so, we yeah. we needed to resolve them too yeah. um so we needed to resolve um yeah the fan orient storyline yeah right yeah uh, as well so having a discussion where we set up what's yeah. coming no i can see the argument for it i just uh again i i think i it's true we wouldn't have gotten closure on kelgorm and kurafin specifically um, but I just I, I think I would have been satisfied with or maybe Mythros is looking north and says something like, you know, you know, Morgoth can be assailed after all. Like, so he can be, you know, uh, you know, Angband is not impregnable or whatever. He, you he's, know. he's got a I mean, like, I would like him to to at least hear the actual line because we put that line in Fingolfin's mouth last season. So that means that it has to get to him through Fingon. Um, and I, we, when we talked about this, we, we toyed with the idea of, of the scene instead being a, a scene between Mythros and Fingen. Yeah. Um, but that felt a little bit too, this is now season seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this is more directly a reaction to. Right. The, as, as a teaser to set up what's to come, you don't want to give away the whole thing. 
So having Fingen and Mithros planning something would be too far. No, I agree. The, but yeah. that's that. But, but I was having the same kind of feeling about, about the, this. Yeah, Caranthir saying, the, hey, let's attack Doriath, and them saying, well, maybe not, and yeah. Right. So if you don't want to explicitly get attacking Doriath off the table in this scene, we can tweak it so that that's not clear. Like. Mm. Magler's the one who's kind of like, no, no, no. We should like definitely be working for a peaceful solution, you guys. Right. We can we can make Magler be a little quieter, and therefore, yeah, that that's still on the table, maybe. Um, but we're not trying to set up a sack of Doriath yet, right? Mm. So it's it's kind of important that we are connecting Angband Silmaril. If Baron and Lucian can go steal one, why not? Let's right. get some other elves in on this plan. Right, right, right. And so maybe as long as we keep, we can we can take out the resistance to violence to a degree, but keep the the line where Mithras is kind of chiding them, like you're saying that Baron and Luthien can do what you can, like can do, it, but you can't. So right. That's what we're doing. Right. Right. Um, kind of harping on the the pride of the two of his brothers who were just <laughs> royally right. demolished by. So I, I'm imagining this tag of Kurafin just saying, "So how hard can it be?" <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, or what? Yeah. 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 Um, but okay, so we can we can definitely trim that down. Yeah, I, I, I just I, yeah, even. Um, yeah, I would have been content. As I say, I would have been content with one line. I'd be like, even if you want to include them both, like if you want mm. to show them all together, right? And then like all we hear is Mytheroth saying something like, as David Michael Roberts says, it can be done, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, uh, you know, Kurif, and then one other person, like Kurifin, uh probably saying something ominous, you know, about the Silmaril or something. Um, that uh, would get the job done, but we would lose Amras expressing the complete nihilistic attitude of none of this even matters. Yeah. Loved which, it. Loved which it. is very on brand for him, but not something we really get to hear very often. No, it's not. Because but again, I was thinking like, I'm, I'd, I'd be, I, 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 I just could wait for that is all I'm saying. Yeah. Right. I, I hear yeah. that. Cause that was the thing with the Fink and Myverse thing is obviously I would love to have a conversation between those right. two characters, but I'd like a full episode to play with that. Exactly. exactly. Um, for this though, what's happening in the scene is not just like, Oh, let's just sum up what's going on with the Silmaril. It's the oath is awake again. Yeah. Yeah. And at play and active here. And to get that concept across, there needs to be a little bit more than just it's time to do something. Right. No, no, no. No, I, I, and I wasn't trying to capture that in that line. But, um, yeah, I still think it could be done in 30 seconds. I still think it could be done with, like, um, like uh, the camera is sweeping in behind, like, maybe – Kelgorm and Kurofin, or maybe Kurofin and Magor, right, as they're like coming down the hall or something, and um, we're hearing Kelgorm talking about, or, or Kurofin talking about how like we must, re- like there's a Silmaril in Doriath, we must take the Silmaril, and Magor making gentler noises, 
right? But he doesn't have to be make loud noises, right? It's mostly what we mostly hear is Kurofin. And then, like, the camera is, like, sweeping it. And there's, uh, there's Mithros facing the opposite direction from them, right? Saying, and he's looking out over the parapet to the north and uh and and his re- and we're showing his different reaction right so we see the reaction of like the oath is 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 a lot is 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 in in play again but then we also see we also get a teaser of uh, of mm. Mithros's more constructive response to the bear anyway i'm i'm not saying it has to be like that i'm just saying i i could we could, I, we could definitely give it a give it a put it on a diet for sure yeah. Um, unless you have anything that you want to touch on about the first two tags, I would like to talk about the third one for just a minute before we. Which one was the third one? That's the that no the third one is is in it starts in Assyrian. That's the that's the big tapestry reveal one. Huh. The 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 tapestry one is the is yes. the, the third yeah the one that starts with the cottage of the dead that live. Right. Um, and if anything, I wanted to bring up something in the logistics of um, of the writing of it because we've we've talked quite a bit about how in a in a spec script, which is what these are essentially, you don't generally talk about camera moves and whatnot because uh, directors don't like that. Uh, <laughs> They don't like when the scriptwriter tells them what to do. Tells them what to the do. Camera. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so this, there's some examples in here of the way that you you see screenwriters get around that. Right. Um, in the way that it is, that is described, where uh, you you know if you read this, you'll see that I'm I'm describing the details. And then more, more things, and more things, and more things, which implies a a zoom out, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't say at right. any point, right? You must the zoom camera zoom zooms out, out yeah. or we see, you know. Um, so uh, I I wanted to mention that as a uh, as a as a mechanical yeah uh, thing of the the script writing. But also um, the but the the implication of this tag is how this is all pointing at Arendil, which then everything about that points down to Lord of the Rings, uh, which is why we end with Elrond um, standing, looking up at Arendil in the sky, which was and just seen the in the stars? tapestry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that's great. I loved it. I loved the the <clears throat> sorry the return to the tapestry at the end and the contextualizing of the, I I I I love that, especially with the way the thing that I really loved most about that was also the way in which it hints very gently at the whole like the line of Luthien shall never fail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know that, yeah. that that was I thought that was great. So yeah, no, loved it. Loved the tapestry thing and the kind of nod to the fact that now that we've sort of. <clears throat> sort of seen behind the curtain as it were like we've seen the you know the uh uh the tapestried halls of 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 Mandos right um where all of like 
present and past and future history is is being woven there. The, mm-hmm. um, that like to to kind of return to it and give a kind of a glimpse of that, um, a, a glimpse of the future through the tapestries. It was great. Loved that. Loved that. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. <sighs> Very good. So we did it. We did episode 13. We did, we've did. we done six seasons. We're not done with this whole season yet. We still have more things to talk about. But we finished the scripts. We finished the story. It's good. It's good. And now Nick can take a nap. So that's uh, that's really good. That's really good. All right. So next up is going to be art discussion. So we have a little bit of a delay because Myth Moot is next week. So our next session is going to be Thursday, July 6th, um, which is three weeks from tonight instead of two weeks from tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the, the, the creative uh, contributions. Definitely remember, this is your final reminder. Um, anybody who wants to work on contributions, we can still include those uh, in that discussion. We can look at um, things that people have suggested, sets, costumes, props, uh, props, other, kind of art, other kinds of artwork. We'll be showcasing those in July. And then... Um, uh, Nick, I hope you're going to submit your roll twenty map of uh, the dungeons of. <laughs> Sorry, just teasing you about that. That was fun. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so we're um, uh, as I say, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about this stuff, and then, um, and then we're going to, and then the final episode two weeks after that, um, uh, on the twentieth of July, will be music. And this is hopefully when we're going to get the song from episode 13. That'll be kind of the centerpiece of that. And then we'll talk about other uh, musical contributions uh, from uh, the great film film composer Philip Menzies as well. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, And uh, thanks. Yeah. Is there going to be a big, big, big picture planning episode? Um, We'll, we'll, talk about that i would expect probably in the first episode of season seven um as we that is the first session of season seven um as we kind of get our bearings and think through make sure we we get the scope um of what we're going to cover in season seven and we usually kind of look forward from there um one of the real big questions that we still never really answered though i know Bunches of people have ideas, but we've never actually had the discussion yet of how we're going to handle the Tour and the Turin stories. Are we going to do them in parallel or are we going to do them in series? Um, uh, it's really interesting. I was minded of that when we were just doing the Wandering of Hurin material and the end of the Grey Annals and War of the Jewels discussion uh, about a month ago. Um, when in the Annals, Tolkien was going back and forth between Turin and Tour um, and juxtaposing them that way. Anyway, um, oh, yeah, and are we going to add the extra bits in the wanderings of Hurin? Oh, yeah, exactly. Really fascinating questions. So, yeah, but that we'll, we'll talk about that in season seven. That'll be that'll be a bit later. After on. season seven. I know, I mean. Like, yeah, none, none of those choices are going to be made in season no, seven. No, 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 no. No, but we, we can, we'll probably glance at the overview Scope of like, the, the road ahead sure. there. Yeah. yeah, so. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Because we're coming in on the end of the first age, it's not that far away. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think we could, we might be able to map. Uh, it, it would be fun. How many seasons we yeah, have left? Yeah. Exactly. To have a, to you know, ha- yeah, 
to the what, war of wrath yeah yeah to the war of wrath exactly how how the shape of all that goes so we will see next season i think is pretty clear so it's not really you know we could if we wanted to push it off another another season and wait to have that discussion at the beginning of episode or season 8 yeah but, but given that we we know pretty much exactly where season 7 ends yeah 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 i mean there's not there's a little bit of wiggle room Right, you know, but not my, like, uh, you know, do you end with the taking of Hurin, or do you end with the defiance of Morgoth by Hurin? Like, but th- these are those are finer distinctions. Or the death right? of Rion. Or... Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's there, yeah, there... there's there's a few things at the end of that season that are is it just the end of seven or the beginning of eight? But we all pretty much know where we're in. <laughs> we all yeah. pretty much know we're going to be in the fence of Sarek in episode thirteen, right? I mean, that's pretty much more or less what we're looking at. So, yes. um yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, all right. Thanks, everybody. See you guys in three weeks. Thanks, Nick. Great job. As I say, this was a really, really hard one to do. So, um, really appreciate that. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was awesome. Thanks, everybody. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.